Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Screenwriting Life. Today we're talking about the most important, terrifying, and ultimately rewarding part of our craft of writing, putting yourself out there. You'll never get your stuff seen or read unless you put it out there. So today we're going to talk about ways to do that and give you the encouragement you might need and also probably talking ourselves into it as well. Oh yeah, in a big way today. <laughs> um, so, but first we're gonna go to our section about our week or what we like to call adventures in screenwriting. Lorian, how was your week? Uh, my week was very busy, very good. I uh, delivered a new version of this script that we have been talking about for, I don't know, ever. And I had, um, the usual experience of delivering a script, I think, which was, oh, I'm ready. I'm delivering it. I hit send. And then I texted you and I said, I delivered it. And you say, congratulations. And I was like, oh my God, it's probably terrible. It's probably structurally unsound. Every scene ends with a downbeat. It's a mess. And then I just started to like unravel my accomplishment and sort of, I don't know what that is, right? Like the panic and, um, sort of beating myself up about it. And I think it's like this judgment monster, I think is out there ready to pounce on me and rip my guts It's a out. very vulnerable thing to hand the script in. It's super yeah. vulnerable because it's now out of your, your grubby paws as they, yeah. my friend Felicity says. I mean, it's just really vulnerable. I mean, what it, I mean, um, Ed Solomon said it's, you get a minute for every page before you I dive even, into the hole. I didn't even get 34 minutes. <laughs> I think I gave myself like 34 seconds and then I was like, Wah! or maybe that's not true. Maybe I took a half an hour to, before I, I texted you, but I doubt it. I don't even remember. I could look at all the timestamps on the emails and the texts, but um, so I did that, which was, you're right, very vulnerable. And um, then on the other side, I am working with a couple of really wonderful writers, um, helping them as their script editor on their feature. So I love that. I feel really good about my skills doing that, right? So that's a very positive thing, like helping them see wh where they need to go in their script and, and figuring it out. So I got a lot of like positive validation feelings from that. Um, I did have this fun moment with them where I was like, you're going to get off the call and you're going to like absorb all this and then you're gonna get really mad at me and that's okay right you're gonna be like who the fuck is she she just ripped our whole script apart and I was like that's okay you should be mad at me so that you have the space to figure out what you want to do next but I uh and they were sort of looking at me and you know like oh, we don't believe you I'm like just wait it's gonna happen so but that was that was really fun and then the other thing I'm working on is I'm uh, getting ready to teach this class which I have been trying to get out of since it was first proposed. And I haven't figured out why exactly, but I've used every excuse I can to try to get out of teaching this class. Like, I can't do it. Here's why. It's too much work. I don't have anything to say. I'm a fraud. I don't want to do it, right? Like, 
And every excuse I've come up with, they've come back to me with, oh, that's okay. We can do this. Oh, that's okay. We can do this. I literally cannot get Damn out. Damn them. Damn them. <laughs> I know. So I just think, I, but I've always had this thing where the things I most viciously say no to are the things I end up doing. Right. What like, is the class? Shall we, should we say? Uh, no, it's okay. No? I mean, I'm okay. supposed to promote it, but whatever. Uh, maybe I'll put it somewhere. Oh my gosh, Lorian, put yourself out there. <laughs> Come on, girl. It's on, it's on stage 32. I'm teaching a class about how to be a professional screenwriter. And it's like, I don't know. I should take that class. No, come on. (laughs) I think it's going to be a great class. So everyone go to, you can go over to stage 32, sign up for Lauren's I also have a bad news for you, Lauren. You're a really good teacher. So unfortunately it's going to be an amazing class. And I know that as someone who's learned so much from you. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. We'll see. Anyway. So yeah, I have, I have used every trick in my book to try to get out of teaching this class. And and then it's, it's interesting, a uh, fellow writer friend, I met her at Cinestory, she's a mentor. She emailed me today, the announcement for the class. And she said something like, it's so fun to see your accomplishments written out in your bio because you never talk about that. Uh-huh. And I responded to her and I was like, well, it's so boring, my accomplishments, but it's way more exciting to, for me to tell you about all the passes I'm getting on my feature, right? Like, so I do this thing. And I think it'll be interesting to talk about that when we're talking about putting yourself out there today, because part of that is so much knowing how to talk about your accomplishments yeah. and knowing how not to talk about what a trash person you are, right? Like even, even if it's a joke, but just because the words you use to describe yourself are the words that people take in and yeah. carry away. So that for me is a, I'm working on that still, you know, um, I, you know, I don't know that self-deprecating thing. So charming when That's really so charming. It, it's well, both. It is. Yeah. It's, but, but it's, there's a balance. Yeah. Like I've talked about this before. Anytime there's a bio out there for me, I have to like read it 18 times to make sure I haven't made something up or that I'm not lying or making something seem bigger than it is. Cause I'm so afraid of getting caught. Right. By who? By like the by like the writers' council. Lorian, Lorian, I'm sorry, but this was not considered a play. It was a one act or whatever. Exactly. No, that's it. There is this big bad judgment monster. Like listening to Anne Lamott talk and reading her book and talking about that, um, the governess of doom or the governess of dread. I don't remember what it was, but I have the judgment council. Like it's not just one person. It's like a whole bunch of people from all different parts of my life. And they have just, they keep accumulating. And yeah, so that that's, I think I, I have to work on that. You gotta change your to- committee, man. You got to change over the voices in the committee. I need to give them another job. Isn't that what she said? Yeah. You give them another job. Tell them to go do into the library and do some research. Tell them to go fuck off. That's what I really need to do. That's their new job. No, when you you do that, they really don't. (laughs) Right. Because you have to to appreciate them. Right. And acknowledge them and and tell them no, thank you. Or here's something else you can do. I feel like this might help me find the next thing I'm writing. And by the way, when they go off and do something else, the other committee members get to talk who are sitting there waiting very patiently to talk okay. about things that you're, you could enjoy or things that are exciting, things that you could be interested in. They're all waiting, but the judgment committee is so loud, so loud. And then this makes the judgment committee say to me, you're, you've done this wrong. You should have been listening to the other committee members. 
There, it's there very is. deep. <laughs> <laughs> the layers, the layers, Meg. It's a frightening prospect to dig well, into my keep, layers. They're trying to keep you alive. Anyway, um, I had I had a really I had a good week. You know, I carved out time um, every day to have lunch with my daughter because I've been, you know, getting up early and working every day. And so I tried to give her the time she needed. So she wasn't coming down to my office to haunt me, you know? Um, so I'm just really trying to find that the rhythm of being in this, you know, finally it's a year later, literally it's a year later. And I'm like, aha, (laughs) it'll all fall apart soon. (laughs) It's a year later, I think to this weekend that we went into quarantine. Yes. Yes. Um, All right, Meg, thank you for listening to me, Meg and Jeff. How was your week? Uh, well, my week is, I, I've been noodling about because I also, it's on deadline time, trying to turn things in. Don't want to do too much to change it because it's going to be red. And now it's time to let it go. Get my fingers off of it. Um, I find your, it, your grubby little hands, my grubby little hands. I, I find it exciting and daunting. Also the same thing. Like, I'm so proud of this. I'm, I'm so excited where it is. There's still much further to go, but I'm so excited where we got to. And then there's always that fear of like, is this a bubble that's going to burst or are we going to fly? Like, which, which way is this going to go? And I don't know. I'm very much, and I don't know if it's because how I was raised, but I'm always waiting for the other boot to drop, like kick me in the head. So I don't ever want to get too high up in my expectation, but you know, that's so sad, right? Because when else are you going to get there? Right. Because you just turned something in. I'm trying, so I'm trying to enjoy it. Um, as I, you know, it's just, that's how it is. It's so hard to enjoy it. Even just in the moment, even just knowing like next week, it's going to be hard, but can I just have this moment for myself? And like just I, breathe and relax. And just like, even if it's like, I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Like, can I just maybe breathe and like read a book or do like allow that thing to go away for a while? Yeah. Um, the other thing I spoke to a writer uh, who's at UCLA in the master's program and he needs to do something for his class and for animation. And so I talked to him and a question he had, I thought was really interesting. And I don't know if he got this from a class or somewhere else, but his idea was that you don't need to be specific, that if you get too specific in your work, it starts to alienate people. And I was like, well, it's actually the opposite, a hundred percent opposite. Yeah. The more specific, and it sounds like it's very counterintuitive, right? The more specific you get, um, his name was Matthew, by the way. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Matthew. Um, uh, the more specific you get, the more universal it becomes. And the less specific you get, the more people can start kind of pulling away from it and feeling outside of it. And it's really interesting because you would think that if I get so specific with this character and who they are and that when they have to make a contract with somebody, they choose to meet at the coffee shop and do it on a napkin right? You would think, well, then what about all the people who choose to go to the lawyers and actually do it for real? No, no, no. But it tells you so much about her. And it tells you so much more about the layers of her and the emotionality of her and her choices and who she is and why she would choose to do that. Like it just starts to really create a human being versus the more general, uh, like let's go to, okay, now lawyer scene, contract in the lawyer scene, right? Um, I'm not saying you can't do a contract in lawyer scene. I'm just using that as an example. So I thought that was something interesting to bring up in terms of always go to be as specific as you can and really push towards that specificity, which is why I think I like to do the, the dump drafts because you're forced into specificity. You're forced out of that kind of like generalization because suddenly, well, she's in the grocery store and I know what I want to happen here, but how the hell 
do I get there? What is the specificity of that? And then it starts to shift around. The other thing with specificity too, just real quick is yeah. um, it's the reason you are writing this thing. You know, it's like, right. if you're trying to have this generalized universal approach to your story, it's like anyone could have written it. And right. you're a writer because you have a specific voice and you're empowered by something that only you can write. So leaning into that specificity is you authoring the thing with your own voice and your own experience. I think that's really, really important because that's what's gonna make you stand out as a writer. Right, and the specificity of like, okay, there's four characters in this room and it's wake kids up in the morning, but how did these, like that's been seen in a thousand things, right? So how is that, it can't just be wake kids up in the morning. Like what about it is not the way anybody else wakes up in the morning and the specificity of the characters, of the situation, of where they are, I mean, so many things. Right. I think that's when it gets too general, that's when we start to see the cliche, like in a lot of movies or TV show, you see the mom and she's laid out a whole breakfast, like toast and eggs. And then the kid comes downstairs and doesn't eat anything and leaves. Right. Like that's this general mom breakfast moment. But uh, the specificity of a mom who makes like oatmeal or puts out toast or doesn't do anything or makes the kid get the breakfast and then breakfast themselves right or think, that, yeah and think about your yeah. life and the specificity of it like my mom had five kids so this was our breakfast in the morning we'd go out it'd still be dark outside and there'd be a box of cereal on the table if we were lucky and that meant there you go and she's still sleeping because she's got to get up and deal with all these other stuff like it's just and you know what's your birthday your birthday is a little like <laughs> like your birthday was literally like a cake that you're lucky if you got a cake because there's five kids right right so i just the it just tells you about the, about the mother, about the kids, about the situation, and just to really push into your own experience and put it in there. I thought, yeah, that was just something to bring up. The other thing I wanted to bring up from this week is um, I spoke to the director and writer of the DreamWorks short, um, To Gerard, which you can see on Peacock, which is a wonderful, and um, Taylor Meacham. And sorry, Taylor, if I pronounced your last name wrong. Um, we talked about a lot of fun things. And one thing he brought up, um, or I brought it up, I can't remember. We were talking about how, you know, if you're a person who has um, ADD or ADHD, or you just have trouble focusing, or you have, you feel very fractured, that's me. I'm always, you know, my husband is like A, B, C, D. This is how you clean the house. You clean the kitchen, you clean the living room, you clean the dining room, then you go upstairs. Now you clean bedroom number one. I go all over the house when I'm cleaning because I'm like, oh, I got to take that. And I go downstairs and now I'm in the kitchen and I'm like, Oh, and, oh my and God, where I did forgot you, this. this where did you the leave the vacuum? And, and where did you, I leave the vacuum? Right. And now, I go, now I'm cleaning the bathroom because I went to the bathroom. And now when I'm in the bathroom, I find my hair clip, which gets me to the bedroom, which now means I'm making the bed. And it's a very all over the place swirling process. But I just realized, I think it's about a creative brain. I'm not saying that my husband doesn't have a creative brain. He's also a writer, but that's the, also how he approaches creativity sometimes is ABC or sometimes he goes the opposite and just throws it all up in the air. Um, I guess I wanted to just talk about accepting the brain you have, because like when I do focus, I focus intently. Like you, somebody actually posted on our Facebook page, what do you listen to when you're writing? And I'm like, it doesn't matter because when I am writing, you could walk up to me and scream fire. If I'm in the flow, I don't hear you. I, I literally don't hear you. It drove my parents crazy when I was a kid. But that's, I sometimes wonder if our brains again, I'm not talking if you need, if you need medication, take it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about instead of beating myself up that I don't have this, you know, system or I don't have, I don't do it the same every day. And that's the way it's supposed to be, but that's not my brain. 
Yeah. And my brain brings me a lot of beautiful creativity and that, and that bouncing around is pulling in a lot of different ideas. Right. And then it's suddenly focusing down in and then it focuses incredibly deeply and then it bops up and bounces around and gathers things again. So it's just about really accepting the creative brain. I do think that that ADD, ADHD, whatever it is, is a, is a creative brain and to accept it. And, and because somehow in that acceptance, a lot of that pressure and worry and chatter from the judges committee lightens mm-hmm. yeah. and you can embrace it and be like, this is, this is who I am and this is how I'm going to work. So I just I, thought, yeah. you know, I definitely have been working on that too. Like I'm not going to find the organizational system where I remember where I put my keys. I'm just not at this point. And, you know, just in terms of like household stuff, I've had to start talking to myself as I walk from room to room, right? I'm here to get the coffee cup. I'm here to get the coffee cup. Like I have to talk myself or I walk into the room and I'm like, why am I in here? What happened? But what happens is, and I am working on accepting that that's my brain and how my brain works, but a side effect of that is that when I'm working on something, I can't stop thinking about it. I can't turn it well, off. That's why right? you forget the coffee cup because part yes. of your brain, a very large part of it is actually still unconsciously turning that story. Yes. Over. So I'm turning and turning. And so when I turn it in though, then I can, then I have to work very hard to not noodle, not right. go back in. It's just, this is, I'm waiting for the notes now. I'm waiting for the next phase. Um, so I'm so in it though, when I'm working on it and working on it and I'm up late at night trying to figure out where those notes are, but yeah, you're right. It really is about accepting some, I, I went to an acupuncturist years and years ago for something. And he said I had monkey brain. And then I saw someone on the Facebook page this morning said that he has weasel brain. And I'm like, yes, all that. That's what it's like. It's like all of it's weasel monkey brain. Right. And that there is no cure. <laughs> it just is, you know, and that there isn't a right or a wrong way to be. I think we grew up thinking that we need to be fixed, right? That, that right. we need to figure I out guess what the that's right That's a way. really great way of saying it. Like, instead of worrying that I have to fix my brain, it is my brain. It's a creative brain. And that it, however, this is how it works. It's how it connects up into the, the ether of stories and and instead of why don't I embrace it? Why don't I celebrate it? Instead of spending all of this life energy, right? Yeah. Thinking about fixing it. It's a really great way of thinking about it. And I will say I take anti-anxiety medicine and like I am medicated for, you know, anxiety and depression. It doesn't change the way my brain operates in a creative capacity, right? That's not why I take that medication. I take it to calm down the bigger, louder stuff so that I can access that. Right. And um, so it's just like what you're talking about. Like, if you need medication, take it, figure it out, you know. Um, and I can take those medications and it doesn't affect my creative brain because I figured out the right way to manage it with my doctor. Um, <laughs> but I have tried some of those ADHD, whatever medications there are, and it does not work for me. <laughs> you know, like, and, and everybody yeah. should take care of themselves. And yes. it's just about accepting. The beauty of who you are, I guess. Yes, um, exactly. Which is, you know, part of what we're talking about all the time, right? Like I am a writer. This is how I tell stories. These are the stories I have to tell that I want to tell and sort of embracing who and you are. And that is also goes to the confidence you were talking about early. I want to meet a writer who isn't arrogant, but has confidence in I'm a writer and I have stories to tell mm-hmm. and I'm like, it makes me lean in. 
Mm-hmm. Somebody saying, well, I don't know. And I kind of, I'm not very good and I don't have time. And I really don't, I'm like, I'm leaning out because I'm, you know, again, not here in a, pl- a place of, of teaching and, and gathering, but I'm talking in a professional setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not going to work so well for you. Yeah. Um, hey everyone. So the new version of final draft, final draft 13 is out. And you know, the question's going around, is it worth it? Is it worth it to buy or upgrade? And our answer is yes. So I recently got notes on a pilot and I want to see how it works in my rewrite to move a couple of scenes. And usually what I do is, you know, cut and paste, uh, which works out sometimes, but mostly it means I lose text because I move so quickly. But the new version of Final Draft has this cool feature called Navigator 2.0, where you can actually just move scenes around right in your script. So without losing something, I can see what's working, what I'm missing, or what needs to be rewritten, or you know, if I have to lose the scene altogether. But it's really, really helpful. And what's most important to me about this is that I'm not losing anything. Woohoo! Yes. I am laying out a new project, and I want to card it. And I can now do that inside of Final Draft, and it's now a super easy way. You can take those cards and then make them into an outline with a simple drag and drop. So it's just a great way to see the larger story that you're writing and get down the details, track characters. I just love it. And for our emerging writers, a great new feature is Final Draft lets you set writing goals like page count or timed writing sprints, which is super cool. So uh, we think the new version is really worth uh, investing in. So you can head over to finaldraft.com slash products to get the new version with a discount code of ScreenFD for 25% off. You should check it out. That's ScreenFD. S-C-R-E-E-N-F-D. All right. So, Jeff, how was your week? You know, it's this is a very relevant week for me to share. I've been uh, location scouting for the feature, Ooh. which has been fun and exciting. It's interesting, though. I've been candid. It's a micro-budget feature, so... And, you know, any part of if you choose to write for film, things change. I think that's one of the things we've talked about. You know, if you want to write a novel, you can have creative control over what gets put down and then you turn the novel in. And of course, editors will change what you have, but you don't need to necessarily change X, Y and Z because this actor X, Y and Z or this location X, Y and Z. Um, And it's been really interesting because we found a location that we're obsessed with. We love it. Um, But it's not really what I had pictured or even what I had written for. and this feature, it's uh, kind of a coming-of-age, big chill-esque camping comedy drama. And this is like a farm. And it has this beautiful pond and this pool and this barn. Um, so I'm like, well, I could like panic. Or I could try to get back in this script and see what happens if I write with this location in mind. And um, it's been hard. Like, <laughs> I feel like I'm back to square one a little bit and it's blown up the script a little bit. And I feel like a really bad writer. I'm like back to a really shitty first draft. And I had this feature that I loved and felt finished. And now I'm reading these scenes and I'm like, this dialogue, like, did I, like, I feel like I'm a better writer than this, but it's because I haven't written a first draft in a while. Um, Uh. So it's been really valuable to remember that like, it's okay for me to write a really shitty first draft. No, you're supposed to. Cause you're supposed to, and like Annie Lamott does that. And like, she's a pretty good writer. So I'm, right. it's okay if I'm writing a shitty first draft too. <laughs> um, and it's just been really interesting. I'm like, I'm trying to be excited by it rather than paralyzed by it. And I'm trying to be open to the idea of this new location might make this thing better. But I think I'm asking a lot of those better or different questions. And I'm asking a lot of those, like, am I good at this questions? <laughs> um, 
but it's it's a great reminder that like getting back on the page is hard and it's okay that it's hard and that's where i'm at that's awesome. amazing the story gods are writing with you you're right that's they right they are participating they are yeah. saying hey how about this location totally and i right? think i'm so Maybe. it's so valuable to have that mindset and think about it as an opportunity and something opening up rather than something shutting me down. So I'm really trying to lean into, this is something exciting. Starting over and writing terrible dialogue is good. It's exciting and it's great. Um, well, I mean, God, I mean, God love you because of course, when you're location scouting, your brain is in a very different place than the dream world of, of writing. But yeah. Um, I mean, there are writers who are on set who have to write immediately because there's actors standing there, but that's a different thing. But wow, that's, it's kind of I, I, standing outside of it. it it's exciting. Awesome. Yeah. It sounds like, oh, that's so exciting. That location yeah. sounds amazing. And suddenly I'm like, who's there? Who are the characters? And what do they think about the barn? And what do they think about the pond? What do they want to do? Maybe like just let yourself experiment a little bit instead of have to write a script to shoot and let yeah. them tell you, let them tell you what they think about the location. It's a really good idea. That's kind of what I've been trying to do is getting back into it. I think what's hard is I'm letting myself do that, but in doing that, I'm writing scenes and dialogue that I know I'm better. I'm a better writer than these scenes, but that's okay because I'm forgetting that this was a two year long process, this other draft. So like, I just need to give myself permission. And we say it all the time on the show. I feel like such a hypocrite because I'm like back in these scenes and, you know, in giving myself permission to let the character speak to me and explore, I'm like remembering that it's okay that this first draft doesn't sound like this page, you know? Yeah, because remember, I mean, just if this helps you, and I was just going through this the other day because I was mm -hmm. getting ready to turn in. Um, you know, John Lasseter, I believe it was, and if it wasn't, it was somebody at Pixar and these brain trusts used to say, you know, you're going for the fifth, sixth, ninth, tenth idea. And we, you know, you got to get through the one idea, the two idea, the three idea, the four idea to get to the five, six, seven, where it's really starting to get juicy. Yeah. So though that, that dialogue that you don't like is the first idea of that dialogue, You're right. but you aren't going to get to the juicier one because your brain isn't going to understand what you're laying down until you lay down that first, those first options. Do you know what I mean? Like totally. I do this all the time, especially with dialogue where I'm also like, <laughs> I literally sometimes write, ugh. Meaning I just, fuck, I hate that, but I have to keep going. And then I know to go back and look at all the Uggs and maybe because right. I don't even need that line of dialogue, which is what like a couple of times I've been like, it's because she, she shouldn't even be talking here. Or, you know, I mean, so yeah, it's more of that process, right? That practice. Definitely. And it's good. It's just like, it's such a reminder to our listeners that like when we say these things on the show, we're saying it to ourselves as well. So oh yeah, we're with you in this and um, it's fun. It's like, I've just been learning so much. So thanks for letting me share. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, that's awesome. Of course. Yeah. Um, speaking of our listeners, yes, I would love, you guys have written these beautiful, beautiful reviews. We have a ton. We've gotten a ton in the last two weeks, probably partly because I know we asked for it on the Facebook page, but <laughs> The reason we do that is because one, we love to see you and see your writing. It's such a fun chance for us to like get a little flavor of you all as writers and people, which is so much fun for us. It's why we do the show. And it really helps us as well. And you know, we do this show for free. And um, one way you can really help us is by writing a review because it kind of bounces us up the algorithm on iTunes. Um, and these reviews are just, they're almost making me emotional. They're so well written. So let me read this one from UNC Jim 44, who says, Megan Lorian are my writing lifeline. This show is everything for a screenwriter. It's chock full of information on craft and industry, but most importantly, it's honest. And that honesty makes screenwriting feel accessible for all listeners. We're in this together. 
is not only what Meg and Lorian say during each episode, it's shown through the community that's been built on Facebook. Amen. Thank you for bringing us all together on this creative journey, Meg, Lorian, and Jeff. I am immensely grateful. Thank you. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much. And then I'm going to read one more. This is from Rosebud Bauer, um, which is a great name. Um, who says, this is a great show for new writers. I'm completely new to screenwriting, but after having listened to 30 episodes, I feel like I've taken a full college course. This podcast paints such a full and honest picture of the life of working screenwriters, something that I haven't found anywhere else. Lorian and Meg's insights into the creative process apply far beyond screenwriting and will be useful to storytellers of any medium. What's more, I just enjoy listening. As others have said, it feels like dropping in on a conversation between friends. Thank you for a great show. Aww. You're welcome. Hooray. I'm so um, glad it sounds like it's helpful. Definitely. I will say, and, um, go I ahead, will say my experience of being on the show is that I forget we're doing a show sometimes mm -hmm. and I'm just like talking to my friends. So it's <laughs> probably why it feels that way. <laughs> well, it's good. That's what we want. And I'm so glad to hear you mentioned the Facebook community too. in that other review, um, it's felt especially nourishing even for me. I probably, because I'm back into shitty first draft mode. So I'm like, need encouragement, need nourishment. So I'm like on the Facebook page all the time, but you can be too. So definitely join the Facebook group. It's um just amazing. There's writers of all levels and craft, but the thing that ties everyone together is just like this really warm, affectionate and supportive community. So definitely join. It's a great way to kind of level up your experience with the show and meet other writers. And um, also remember you can email us. I was in the email this week and we've had some beautiful emails written to us in there too that I'll read next week. But that is the screenwritinglife at gmail.com. Awesome. And yeah, the Facebook group is awesome. There's like, like Jeff said, there's, there's pro writers on there too who are answering some questions for you. And Lauren and I can't or we missed it and but we're answering questions as we can and I love that you know we had one uh guy who was like I'm going to be honest and say I need a group I need someone to talk to and the, the, the response was so overwhelming and beautiful in terms of people also you know he went out kind of what we talk about your writing you know he was the one who was dared to go out and say this is what I need and this is who I am and found all of these other people who were like oh my god thank god you said that because I also so um, I, we're really proud of the, of the community that's building there. Do you mean to um, say, Meg, he put himself out there? Yes. Oh, there we go. Seg the Segway master. Segway. That's right. <laughs> I planned that completely. Um, yes. Okay. Putting yourself out there. I have some thoughts. So let's talk first about the ways we have to put ourselves out there as writers. So first of all, to write at all means you have to put yourself out there. And some people, that's where they stop. Honestly, like the very first step the very first rock in the stream to write itself is putting yourself out there. Even though your brain knows nobody's going to see this if you don't want them to, somehow translating it from the inside of you to the outside of you can be putting yourself out there. Um, Lauren, you had that great post on the Facebook page about calling ourselves a writer. Just yes. we are, I am a writer is putting yourself out there. Just acknowledging that and owning it um, can be a really big thing for a lot of people. I remember when we, you and I first started to work together, Meg, we were having lunch and I said something like, well, I used to be a writer and your response, how I interpreted it was that you were offended that I would say <laughs> something like that. Like as another writer, you were, no, no, no. It, but I mean, like, it was sort of like, no, you're a writer. You were not, right. not in a bad way, but Supported. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that sort of like you know, that I was, I was offending the writing gods by saying, I'm a, I'm a used to be writer. And sort of you helped me see that I'm a writer and that I should be writing because I'd so discounted 
my right. ability to write. And I sort of found this like cute way to describe that I used to be a writer, but you didn't think it was cute at all. <laughs> like you were like, no, let's talk about that. And I was like, what? Ah, people usually stop asking me questions after I say that. <laughs> well, and you know, it's, it's looking at all of us looking at when we back down off of putting ourselves out there, because what do we think is going to happen, which I definitely want to get into, right? Like what is all of that, that is keeping us, uh, it thinks it's keeping us safe, but in fact, it's not, mm-hmm. um, you know, revising, facing that page, Jeff, you know, a little bit about putting yourself out there, revising right now, experiencing it, you know, writing is so often solving problems. I understand we all think it's like, oh, and then it's like a movie in our head and we're writing it down sometimes. And sometimes it's, well, there's a lot of story problems here <laughs> that I have to put myself out there and figure these out. You know, that effort and the time to me feels like putting yourself out there that you're going to invest in that. It's putting yourself, putting your time and, 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 and effort into something is putting yourself out there, sending it out, taking notes, letting the judge panel arrive, the committee arrive, is putting yourself out there. Then you're going to have to go, you know, we're just going through the steps. So, you know, now the next thing is you got to go pitch it and sell it. Now the market, right? You're going to face competition, the realities of the market, um, being in those rooms where you've got to come in and sell, like that's really putting yourself out there. Let's say you get past that. Now you might be on set if you're super lucky. If you're super lucky, you're on set, right? Or you're in a recording studio if it's animation or whatever, and people all know you wrote it. Right. And they have issues with it or they don't or they want to change it or they don't or it's getting changed in front of your eyes. Right. And that feels like very much putting yourself out there. And then ultimately you end up if you you know, if you're lucky with the ultimate putting yourself out there, in my opinion, which is walking down the red carpet. Right. And yes, it's amazing. But you also maybe had reviews come out right before you walked down that red carpet. Let's talk about reviews. Getting reviews is putting yourself out there. Um, as a writer, sometimes you're getting quote unquote blame for stuff you had no control over, right? right. You're, or you're getting credit for stuff, right? That wasn't necessarily you. It goes both ways, right? There's cover and there's not cover. Um, you know, my story of putting yourself out there is I went to the Golden Globes um, cocktail party for the good dinosaur and a woman who let's say was a little drunk walked up to me and said, nobody likes your movie. Nobody. She's like, I was like, what? And the, (laughs) there was a marketing person from Pixar standing next to me who was young and her eyes just got really big. Like, oh my God, this is a car crash. And she was like, this one was like, yeah, every, you're not going to, you're not going to win because nobody will tell you, but I will tell you nobody likes your movie. And I was literally like, Oh my God, this is supposed to be the good part. Like I'm at a Golden Globes party for something I wrote. Isn't this a good part? But even standing there is a putting yourself out there. You're standing there as the writer. And she said to me, but don't worry, I like your movie. I'm going to vote for it. And I was like, well, you know, that's good. You're in good company because the New York Times likes it as well. Did you say that for real? I did. did, Oh, awesome. And the, I the, think I would have said, well, right now, no one really likes your awards organization. <laughs> well, that, this was years ago. This was years ago. Yeah. And the marketing girl next to me literally almost like laughed out loud, giggled. She was so excited by my response because, you know, listen, I, I work for Jodie Foster. I've, I've been around the press. Um, 
But I, you know, as a writer, it was tricky, right? It's tricky, you know, sometimes when you're a writer, you don't even, you know, if it's not WGA, you don't get invited to the premiere. You have to fight to get tickets, you know, that's also putting yourself out there. Like I'm important. I was important to this. I, I contributed. So, you know, that putting yourself out there is the whole way, right? It is the creative process that we talk about a lot on this show of being vulnerable, but that vulnerability now it will be, it's going out into the world. Um, so those are all the different ways, you know, and ultimately like with the good dinosaur, as an example, in terms of that crazy golden globe moment. I think the reason I could say that with such confidence is because I like it. Mm-hmm. I, there, I love that movie. I feel very proud of that movie in terms of what we did and the amount of time we had and what we put out into the world and the honesty in the movie and the experience of the movie. And that ultimately, when, I, when we look at the stepping zones I just laid out, the only control you have in putting yourself out there is do you like it? Is it something that you feel like you've done your best, you've really pushed and that this is the best story you can do? Then what else can anybody ever ask of you, right? Um, and that, that's where the, that's the ground you have to stand on, right? You know, the, you know the, the Buddhist saying, you know, everybody else's opinion of you is none of your business. Right. Because that's more about them than you. And so that, that, that has to, you got to practice that muscle, I guess is what I'm saying from the, this, this muscle of us on the Facebook page saying, say you're a writer right here, right now. I am a writer. We're trying to get you to practice the muscle, right. Of putting yourself out there, because if you're really a writer for feature film, there's another, or TV or anywhere, there's another side of this, that it is a public thing. It's a public experience. So we do need you to put yourself out there creatively and also in a brave way yourself. We want to see you. We want you to do this whole process and be walking down a red carpet one day. Um, Anyways, I'm talking too much. Lauren, you jump in. No, I agree with you. And I, I wonder what this fear is of putting yourself out there, right? You'll be judged. My fear is really to be found out, whether someone's going to say, oh, you're not a writer. Who do you think you are claiming access, involvement, participation in this like sacred group of people, right? Like how dare you step Mm -hmm. into this place? How dare you think you can do this? Of course, that requires a lot of therapy to figure that out. But I'm sure everyone has a different reason for the fear of putting yourself out there, right? That there's different things being challenged. Like for a very long time, I could not finish a script. I would start, I would get lots of encouragement, lots of validation, and then I just couldn't finish a script. I don't know what the fear was behind that. That was like the first step in putting myself out there was just finishing something. That's a big deal. You got to finish. Right. I have to finish because that's not just like the fear, overcoming the fear. It's craft. It's getting notes. It's what takes you to the next place that other people take you seriously that, you know, and so I just, it took me so long to get there. And I had all these excuses like, well, I want to be paid. I need a real deadline, right? All these, well, if it were this, if it were quote real, rather than just writing something for myself, I mean, it, I think it's still in the back of my mind sometimes, like, is what I'm doing real? Does it matter? Like, I think that's writing of any kind. Yeah. I, I don't care. I don't care how many Academy Awards you've won. I think that's, that's being an artist. Yeah. Right. Because the answer is who knows until right. you start getting it out there. I mean, you know, it's interesting. So we talked about today, 
the, the brains we all have, and we all have very different brains. But I do think as storytellers, our brains tell stories. Oh, yes. So it's really, really good at telling you the story of the disaster if you put yourself out there. Oh, yes. And you're using all of your storytelling brain to beat yourself up and stop yourself instead right. of putting it on the paper. Yes. I will tell you, the more you start putting it on the paper, the quieter that voice gets because it doesn't have all that energy at its fingertips to use. And the longer you block yourself from putting the stories on the paper, the louder that voice can get because it's using the storytelling ability to tell really bad stories, right? And also our brains are like, I do think, and I, I think this is true for every artist, the idea you have of your story in your head feels so good and so layered and you and, and, and just, it's a good story. And then as soon as you put it on the page, it starts to deteriorate from oh, that yeah. blue sky idea. And that transfer from your brain to reality out in the world is why people either can do this or they can't. And so I'm not talking about talent. I'm talking about the ability to weather that shift, right? You know, Ed Solomon talks about his way of doing it is every day saying, what is it now? What is it now? What is it now? Nothing is solid. It's moving, right? So that it allows him to open up to, well, that isn't all, because here's the thing, and you don't know this until you start doing it enough. The transfer, yes, can be, feel like it's disintegrating, but it can also turn into something else that's better that you could have never imagined and, a, and you could have sat there for a hundred years and never come up with something as deep and rich as what it's becoming because you got outside of yourself and you got out of the myopic view in your head. So that part of you that wants to keep it in blue sky and kind of protect it like my precious and not let it ever write it down or put it out in the world, it's not really serving you. It thinks right. it is, it's, but it's not actually, and it's not serving the story because if it's not going out into the world, it's not in the world, guys. I mean, so I do think we have blue sky ideas of our story and in our heads. And we also have blue sky ideas of ourselves. Right. You know, I think I once said when I was in the position of not writing, but wanting to, to but a writer in my head is I was doing all the excuses. And a friend of mine said, so you, those are all the excuses because you're afraid of what? And I'm like, I wouldn't be able to write. And she's like, and so you're not writing. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? My fear is that I won't be able to write and yet I'm not writing. And so you might have an idea of yourself that you, are, you, know, you need to be, I, my kid is going through this now where I think in his head, he believes himself to be a great writer, a great storyteller. And I think he's really going through the shift over to, well, that doesn't mean you still don't have a lot of craft to learn. That still doesn't mean you don't have to do the slog like everybody else, right? And what if you put yourself out there and you actually do put that short film into the film festival? And he literally said, but what if it doesn't even get, you know, shortlisted? I'm like, well, then it doesn't. What is the intention of putting it in the festival? The intention is to learn to put something in a festival. That's what the intention is. End of story. There is no intention yeah. to win so it's like, he has this, like, we have our, it so, feels so much safer, right? This, we get to be that great writer in our head forever if we never do anything. 
Right. Instead, we have to write shitty first drafts and get rejected from a contest or a film festival or get really hard, awful notes. Or not sell it. Yes. Or or yes. go into the pitches and you get flat eyed, right? Bad Whether reviews or you know or bad reviews, yes. Yeah. But that's that that is the work of the storytelling, yes. and the story is worth it. And, and I promise you, it'll work. Those putting yourself out there moments, you know, you go in for a pitch and uh, you know, it doesn't sell. But there was one executive who really liked you and the pitch, right? And they'll remember you. And you, you don't know what that is, but the more you're putting yourself out there, right? You put a script in a contest, it doesn't win, but there was one reader who really liked your voice. Right. Next time you come by their desk, they'll be like, oh, wait, I remember you. Right. And now you have a bigger, a bigger community of people you don't even know about. I was in somebody recently and she said something like, oh, I've heard great things about you. I'm like, what? From who? <laughs> who are you talking to? What's going on? So I, and you know, I got all paranoid, but then I have to realize like, oh, you know, I, I, there must be people out there reading me and, and maybe some of them hate me, but maybe some of them like why, it. And, and why yeah. would that be? Why, if we have the committee of the creative gods up in the sky, why would they, why would they have us go through all of this? Well, because maybe you're not ready yet for that particular sale and it's going to eat you alive, right? And burn you out that you need to quote unquote fail or put yourself out there and not get the response you want because there's stuff you have to learn, right? Yes. When I was talking to the, sh- to the wonderful short film uh, creator, we, I talked about, you know, it's all about what your definition of failure is. Is failure getting notes on your script that you don't like? No, that's information, right? It's not failure. Failure is not doing it. In my opinion, failure is not putting yourself out. That is the failure because now the story isn't going to arrive. So you are not doing your sacred duty as a storyteller, that not sitting down to write, not going to get notes, not going into the pitch, not revising, right? That there's, there's where failure comes. The rest of it that we perceive as failure is more about, do people like me? Right. Okay. That is not what art is, right? Art is not, do they like me? It's to your point, it's do I like it, right? Right. So you take, you're controlling the narrative. You're taking the power back. Um, Yeah, I think- you've got to separate yourself from putting your, what you're putting out there is your work. Not you. Not you. Yes, you are in- when we're yes. told that the more specific and personal it is, the better, right? And it, it's such a complicated, twisty thing. And I see some people do it so successfully and, you know, I'm still working on it. No, every, I mean, listen, yeah, <laughs> everybody's still working on it, but it yeah. is a, it is a wall or a, let's call it a beautiful, let's call it a golden light that you have to put up between you and the work at some point, because this is where you are right now. This is where the story is right now in its evolution, right? And then when you take it to market, people say no for all kinds of reasons. You'll I would never say no. Know. You'll never know. And nine out of 10 of them have nothing to do with what you pitched. Nothing about the quality of it. It just doesn't fit. It's a widget that doesn't fit into the, into the widget you know, space that they have. Um, so you go again and you go again. So there is that you, you, you do need to help yourself. And the only way you're going to do this is by putting yourself out there. It's a muscle people. It's a muscle you can build. Right. I think there's the other thing of people are that in terms of that blue sky stuff, people are waiting to be chosen. Oh, so much. How many chosen heroes? I mean, that's, 
you know, the hero's journey, right? Right. You're the only one who could do this. You're the chosen one. It's yeah, the mentor is going to show up because you've been on planet whatever fixing robots and they're going to say, well, you don't know it, but right. you're special, right? Um, unfortunately, I don't think that's how the world works. I think the world works because Luke Skywalker found a way to get his butt off that planet and started and got himself into the academy and then showed, and then he could show them, I have something inside of me. Look, it, it is a self-driven thing to find the mentor in terms of who you are. You have to have the curiosity of who you are. Nobody's coming to choose you. There are moments of being chosen for sure. I'm not going to say that doesn't happen. It does. But what they're choosing is the work and all the, all the choices you've made up to that point show themselves. Now you've put yourself into a position, right? Of being seen. And even then, do you want somebody to choose you? Because that sounds like handing over your power. I don't know if that's such a good idea. And it's like, none of us want to watch the movie where the character didn't work for their (laughs) success. I don't like that movie. I don't like the movie where like, the nepotism character, some mentor shows up and says, you're amazing and they win. I want the movie where this person, I mean, you all have taught me about agency. That's the thing I've learned most on this show is your protagonist, which you are in your life, they need to be willing these decisions and taking agency and proudly putting themselves out there. That's the story. So I just love that, Meg. I think that's so valuable. Yeah, and I mean, listen, we all have it. We all have the weight to be chosen because it is, Lauren, you're right, so deep in our culture, especially for women. And we are selling our our work in ourselves, right? Like honestly, when you go into pitch a TV show, it's not just the work, the story. It's do these people want to work with me for the next five years? Yeah, because it's a commitment. Yourself, yeah. Yeah. And you want to be somebody. You want to be yourself, but also you want to be somebody who's going to be collaborative and fun and no story and all the things that you want to sit in a room with for, you know, a long time. So and that takes time and it takes time to, to get all those pieces that you just said yeah. together to be ready to sit in that room. So if you're an emerging writer and you're just starting, congratulations, you're starting and where you are in the river rocks is right. Get, get the get the, the the muscle of putting yourself out there by writing. Then get the muscle by getting notes. Then get the muscle by revising, so that when you're ready to walk into the room, you have that muscle of putting yourself out there, right? So it, it is a it is a process. And I, you know, let's talk about the excuses we make to not put ourselves out there, and let's get super honest about it, people. Okay, so like some of them, I just wrote down last night. Um, Self loathing is a wonderful excuse to not put yourself out there right? I'm not good enough. I suck. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. First of all, get over yourself. Cause that's not true, right? You're not, you're a human being, you have value. And it's just kind of an excuse at some point, self-loathing. And maybe it's a really, like, I love when Annie uh, talked about, well, you actually feel comfortable in that self-loathing. That's where you yeah, feel comfortable. It's, it's much easier not to do something than it is to do. Something. It's much easier to hate yourself because yeah. that inactivates you. And it oddly, even though you're beating yourself up, it makes you feel safe. Mm -hmm. Right. But what if you just stopped standing in there, standing on that rock of self-loathing or, and this is one that sometimes I don't want, you know, maybe we'll get (laughs) emails, but go ahead, let's do it. I also think victim power is very dangerous. Um, Now I'm not talking about being victimized. That is a separate thing. What I'm talking about is, well, I can't because I'm all, you know, uh, this happened to me and this happened to me and that happened to me and I can't, I can't, I can't. Right. Uh, you have to, at some point, again, we want to see the hero, right? Who, even though they are in, let's think of the most victimized concentration camp, right? 
Talk about victimization. We're following the character though and their response to that, right? And how they're gonna fight back and how they're gonna maintain their integrity and how they're gonna help other people, bah, 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 right? So you have to be really careful about victim power, I think is a good way to not put yourself out there. Cynicism is a Ooh, great way. I love this one. Cynicism, cynicism is a great way to not put yourself out there. I'll just there. wrap myself in a cozy blanket of cynicism and eat some cynic, cynic chips, and watch <laughs> crap TV and be like, boo-hoo, you know, like nothing's going to work out. Oh, I love that one. That's my favorite. Well, cyn- I mean, and I, this is a, a known phrase, but you know, the, the saying goes, uh, a cynic is a brokenhearted romantic. Right. Which when somebody says that to me, I'm like, Yep. I'm going to add some wine to that cozy Saturday cynic day. (laughs) But you know, you got to put yourself out there so you can, you know, you can have the cynicism in your car on the way to the pitch and you can have the cynicism after you hear the notes. And I'm not saying don't have your cynicism cake, eat it. Check it when you're, when you're putting but you're going to have to put yourself out there anyways, yeah. tough noogies. You still right, have to do it. I can have that cynicism blanket, but when I'm in a pitch, I have to be able to say like, I write stories about women who destroy patriarchy, right? Like I have to right. tell the story of who I am in a confident, appealing way. I can't be like, well, you know, this isn't probably going to work out. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, no one's going to trust if you're the story, if you're the writer who empowers your female protagonist to take down the patriarchy, they do not want someone coming in and half-assing that pitch. They will not no, believe you. No, right? no, no, no. And I, I, you know, I have no problem with that. I show up all full style. Right. So I live in two worlds. <laughs> Don't we all? The other one. Yeah. A lot of people do. Yeah. The other way, another excuse is it has to be right. Like this kind of intellectual overthinking, which you know, I watched my son try to write his short film and he literally was erasing every sentence he wrote. And I was like, you know, this is not going to work, dude. Like you have to get out of your head and get into the flow of the river. So if it has to be right and supposed to, it's actually a way that your brain's trying to keep you out of the river. It's trying to keep you out of putting yourself out there. Right. So be careful about that. I think, can I say one thing about erasing your work? So I, one thing I learned at Pixar, so I was a script supervisor on Up, and that meant I was tracking the script as it iterated over four years. So in every meeting, the script changed, literally six, seven, nine, ten times a day. Every meeting I was in, the script changed. And so I would just save as and redate it and rename it. Save as, save as. So like every version of the script has, is saved somewhere in Pixar archives. So I learned how to do that with myself. So I might do a save as maybe 10 times a day when I'm working on something because I'll write a scene and I realize, ugh, that's not what I want, but I don't want to delete it. I don't want to lose that version of it. So I just do save as and I iterate it. And so, and then there's, there's always sort of a master document I go back to, and then I have a cut document on the side, but I never delete anything I, because that makes me feel like what I did didn't matter. Right. Right. There's a psychological game to it. And that's how I'm putting myself out there as well. I'm not deleting anything. It's all there in my files. And I know I can go back and get it. I rarely ever go back, but it's just that thing of, I wrote it. I'm keeping it. It has value even when it's crap, but I don't delete anything. No, because don't judge it. Don't edit it. Don't judge it. You know, another place that you can have an excuse to not put yourself out there is, well, I'm a student and I'm learning. Yes, that's good. And I want you to learn and I want you to come to our Facebook page and learn. And I want you to go to, you know, um, 
you know, the Austin Film Festival and learn. I want come all to my of that. class that I'm teaching. I want you day. to go to the class that she's <laughs> going to teach. I want all of that. But I read this great quote in a book by Seth Godin, who said, no one learns to ride a bike reading a manual. You have to get on and fall down you, a lot. You have to get on the bike and fall off the bike. I'm sorry. And it's funny, when I taught my friend um, Amalia how to ride her bike, she was, oh, she got mad because she fell off and she threw her helmet and she was so mad. And I was like, oh, that's great. Because you know who's a great bike rider? Anger. He's a really good bike rider. And then she rode her bike because she was, she just put all of the rage into riding the bike and it worked. And I guess what I'm saying is no matter what you have to use in the writing, if it's rage, right? Cause you are so, if it's fear, if it's whatever's coming up at putting yourself out there, great, use it, but you got to do it. You've got to put yourself out there. We can help you and talk about putting yourself out there, but if you don't start doing it, you're not going to exercise the muscle. And um, to continue ahead. with the bike riding metaphor, you will fuck up. You will have meetings that you say a weird thing. You will submit the wrong draft of something. You like there are, you just will fuck up. And that's just part of it too. Like when I first got to LA, I didn't know what a general was. I thought it was a job interview. So I would show up at these meetings and sort of sell myself in this super aggressive way but I, because I didn't understand that a general was like, get to know you, get to know me, like a date. And the goal was to get a second date or a date with someone else, right? And so I would just show up and I, I didn't know what I was doing. It was so awkward. And I look back now and I'm like, oh my God. But, you know, I didn't, I mean, maybe it hurt me in some ways and I fucked up, but, you know, it's fine. I'm still here. I'm still doing what I'm doing. I learned a valuable lesson and now I can share it with all of you. And, you know, there will be, you will get embarrassed somewhat, you know, like it just, it's part of the process. You're, you're never going to be exactly who you want to be to everybody else. So you just have to keep finding what works for you. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Figuring absolutely. out how to have the generals, how to put yourself out there, how to sell yourself. Um, and I, and the more you do it, the easier it becomes. It really does. I mean, yes. there's always going to be the penultimate, you know, it's always tricky, but, um, it really, the more you put yourself out there, more the separation starts between you and your work, the more perspective you're going to get. Um, you know, I, the other thing I wanted to say about putting yourself out there is, um, it can, there's a, there's a dark side to putting yourself out there that I feel like we have to mention, which is self-sabotage. So sometimes people use the putting yourself out there to um, hurt themselves, meaning- I'm also familiar with this one. <laughs> you know, <laughs> who are you choosing to put yourself out there to? And you have to be responsible for that. I was talking to a young writer who said a friend of hers said to her, oh, how surprised she was. I didn't imagine you as a writer. Oof. And, you know, you have to be careful, careful about who you have in your- you got to curate your group. You really do. And um, sometimes, you know, if you, if you get a person like that around you, I would say, and you've put yourself out there and you've gotten a swipe. I just want you to think about why did they swipe? I find two reasons that people swipe like that when another person has put themselves out there uh, and it's, they're scared is the main reason. Usually it's their own, they wanna take your power because they're afraid of your power. And so they're swiping to raise themselves up and put you down, which is fear. 
or it's the, they're swiping because of their own heartache that you have started to put yourself out there and it actually somehow reflects in their mind onto them and they're getting a broken heart about it. Their broken heart is rising up, right? That cynic behind the cynic, that broken heart, they're feeling it. Well, so, you're threatening them and their threatening sense them. of uh, self by doing something that is scary for you that, right. that they haven't been able to figure out. Right. And so, you know, that can also be true concern. You know, maybe they don't, they're worried about you putting yourself out there and getting your heart broken. Right. But that's all about them people. And you really have to be careful about that. Right. And sometimes I think we unconsciously put ourselves out to people that we know will cut us down because again, it's that self-loathing, which feels more comfortable, oddly. We, we know what it feels like to be that uncomfortable, unloved, unlicked cub, right? So we actually, and we're afraid to go to the next step in the river where we're going to really have to put ourselves out there. So better to unconsciously sabotage it right now by putting ourselves out to somebody that we know is going to cut us down and make us pull back. You have to be responsible for that, right? You know, it's like Annie Lamott said, you know, she felt more comfortable with dread right? And those parts of us that protected us when we were little, right? We, they're no longer protectors, right? Mm -hmm. We have to be super careful. I could have a whole show about that. To me, like everything we're talking about is the thing that makes you a writer. You know, we talk all the time about calling yourself a writer, but you're not a writer unless you're doing it. And I feel like there are so many people who want to be writers or say I'm a writer, but the thing that's preventing them from being that is that they don't do it. So you just have to do it. And it's amazing what happens when you do. Like, yeah, that's all I want to say. I know that sounds mm -hmm. simplistic, but I think like at a certain point that that's it. The writing is doing the thing. So you just have to do it. No, you just have to do it. And know that you're going to have to write, you know, a lot, right? So just get going already, right? Just get going. You know, this podcast is Meg and I and Jeff, we're putting ourselves out there. This is oh, yeah. a very vulnerable thing for us to do is to tell the truth behind the curtain kind of thing about the right, the life of a writer, our lives as writers, our weekly experiences. And it's sometimes I get off the show and I have this vulnerability hangover, like, oh God, what did I <laughs> say? What did I share? Did I share too much? Is there a producer listening? Who's listening? That's going to sort of judge me and think, oh God, she seems unstable, <laughs> you know, like it's all that, like, this is us putting ourselves out there in a really fundamental way because we are truly being ourselves here, right? There's you know, Lorian, it's so generous of you to put yourself out the way you do. And I want to talk about that generosity, that to put yourself out there as a writer is a generous act on your part because you're putting yourself out there to talk about a story to reach other people who need your story. They need you to be generous and, and, and put yourself out there. It's a beautiful act of generosity towards the world, right? That to help other people through your story, through this podcast, through whatever, and, and connect with them, lift them up. You know, I just think it's an incredibly generous act. Um, and, and I'll say have, too, from yeah. a producer perspective, if I can share, you two were scared about this. 
And it's a, <laughs> it's a very, it was a strange situation for me because I'm a fairly experienced podcast producer working with two writers I really admire. Both of your work I love and both of your voices writers. I view it as a privilege to work with both of you. So it was very strange for me on day one of our podcast to see both of you be like confused and insecure about what it means to sit in a studio and host a show. And I was like, wait a minute, these like really experienced industry vets that I recognize are Jeff like- Jeff is like, oh my God, what have I got into? <laughs> no, it's, it wasn't so much that as it was like, this is strange. Like, oh, I guess like really experienced industry people who have Emmys and nominations and celebrated, like them doing a thing for the first time is scary for them. So like, I just want to say that to our listeners that you might be viewing Megan Lorian as you should as these amazing like podcast hosts, which you all are, but you were terrified on day one and you did it anyway. And look what it's brought you to. So I hope that's okay for me to share, but I no, think it's course. really important. Cut that, Jeff. Cut that immediately. <laughs> How <laughs> dare you say that? But I had no, no. no, it's true. Of course, we know. We didn't know what if there would they be a backlash? Would there be, you know, it was, you know, it, we're putting ourselves out here every every week. And we're asking guests to do it. You know, we yeah. talk to our guests before they come on about what this show is. And, you know, most of them are diving right in, which is so amazing. So how to gain the courage um, of putting yourself out there. First, like I said, it's a muscle. You get, it'll get better and easier as you do it. And however you can, I want you to start looking at your day in the most micro way in terms of where you're putting yourself out there. For, I know for women and some men, it may just be looking at yourself in the mirror, right? And really seeing yourself and putting yourself out there to yourself, right? Find the part, times in the day where you're going to put yourself out there. My friend Annie can say hello and have a conversation with anybody at any time. I find that really oddly intimidating. But sometimes I'm like, I'm going to put myself out here today and I'm going to say hi to the checkout girl at the grocery store and how's she doing and how's COVID going, Right. So that's not me putting myself out there in terms of who I am, but I'm at least putting myself out there to engage and talk to somebody. So there can be small ways to get yourself to do this. You know, give your story to your friend to read, whatever you can do, build that muscle. Um, I talked about the definition of failure and success, right? So that's another change your definition of failure. The other reason thing I want you to think about in terms of putting yourself out there and about writing is Try hard, if, if much as you can, to stop thinking of outcome and think of it as a practice. It is a process and a practice. The practice is doing it every day. The practice is, have I put myself out there on the page today? The practice is, have I put myself out there by giving, getting notes? Have I, the practice is, have I put myself out there by revising? It is a practice. It's an art. It's not school. It's not get an A. It's not there's one way to do this. It's not there's a right way and a wrong way. It's not you're going to go be judged because the teacher and the principal are going to say here or here. This is not school. It's art. And art is a practice. So please try to switch your thinking about there. Um, um, Jeff, you had wanted to talk about something that I think is a good way to think about uh, honoring and putting yourself out there in terms of what your work is. Yeah, I mean, it kind of connects to at the top of the show, we were talking about specificity and the story that we're building in our own life. And you face challenges or hardships or persecution. And some of those may come from putting yourself out there, which is so important. 
but those are shaping you. Those are shaping your journey and your story and someone needs to hear it. So when you're putting yourself in your work, you know, when Lorian's writing these amazing female protagonists who are like smashing the patriarchy, there are women who need to see that and hear that. And like, don't, don't take that away from them. By not putting yourself out there, you're really, you're not extending the generosity that we were just talking about of telling your story, which someone needs to hear. Um, right. So just feel empowered that like, you don't want to take that away from someone who really wants to see themselves on screen. They haven't seen themselves on screen. And I recognize that I'm a straight white male talking about the importance of your platform and putting yourself out there. <laughs> Finally, my people have a platform. Um, but seriously, I have unique experiences too. I, I'm someone who comes from, you know, I have the voice of my youth pastor growing up in the Midwest. You know, that's something that someone will really relate to when they see it in this film I'm shooting this summer. So yeah, absolutely. Really I'm important. so glad you're putting yourself out there. I'm so yeah. glad. You know, another thing it, to help you learn this muscle of putting yourself out there is, and I know this is particularly hard for a lot of women, but you have to be selfish. You really have to make it about you, your needs, your existence. You need a little tiny bit of ego in this business. You do. That you have something to say. You have something to contribute. You have the right to do it. You have the obligation as an artist to do it. So I'm asking you to pick yourself. Putting yourself out there is picking yourself. Which and is has been incredibly hard during this pandemic. Yeah. Because I mean, for me, I've talked about it a lot and I'm, I've a lot of people I've talked to, especially women being able to say, no, I have to start writing at nine in the morning and you guys need to figure it out. Like right. I can't be the caretaker for everyone all the time because right. I have needs. And that means I, I need to go write. I need to go work. It's as important, not more important. I'm not saying that. Like that's been a really hard thing for me to articulate. And look, I'm the sole income earner and this is my business. I have to write, but it has been really hard to say, no, my needs are as important as everybody else's. It's just, and it's a, a huge paradigm shift for me. And I struggle with it every day but can you I see feel if you selfish. Get, right, yeah. but can you see if you start seeing that not as selfish, but as self-preservation? Now putting yeah. yourself out there, you're going to have ground to stand on. Yeah. You've ground well, I've generated on. way more work just in the week that I have been doing it, right? That I have the space to do, all, I have like four or five more hours a day, which is just has shifted the stories, how I'm telling the story, the other work I have to get done, like the taxes and all the other nonsense, right. you know, but it, it's like all of a sudden... I feel so much better so that when I do spend time at the end of the day, you with can actually them, be there. Yeah. Except and, for and when focus. I'm rolling around in my story because right, I course. can't turn my brain off. Right. It's all this big <laughs> thing, but I, and I have been trying to do this for the last year and I've had varying results and I'm just really trying to stick to, I get up, I start work at nine, the end, the right, end. Like, be selfish. It's about yeah. you. I want you yeah. guys to start laying down those boundaries. The other two things I want to say is you to, to put yourself out there. You have to do the best you can to let go of being perfect. Ah! Everybody scream. <laughs> ah! <laughs> you know, it's, I'm rewatching Downton Abbey, which is just so delicious and fun. And I, and my husband and I love it so much. It's like, you know, it's like the warm blanket at night. We just sit and watch Downton Abbey. I haven't seen it for 10 years. So it all feels new, but you know, Downton Abbey, which I think is stellar, amazing television. There's still a couple ep episodes that were like, well, eh. 
that policeman shows up a lot, doesn't he? And then he always says the same thing and leaves. It's not perfect, people. It's not perfect because it's a human thing that they were making and evolving and it's not perfect. And yet I love it so much. I don't even want it to be perfect. Okay, The Crown is this season is pretty dang close to perfect. I have to admit, and I do love it, but I, it doesn't need to be perfect because pe- you have to let go of perfection or you cannot put yourself out there. If you're waiting for yourself to be perfect, it is not going to happen. And it is not art and creativity. Art is lumpy, bumpy. It, it, the juice isn't all this, this, the cracks that aren't perfect. That's where it all is, people. That's where it all is. Last thing I will say is remember if you're writing a feature film, if you're writing a TV show, and I mean this as comfort and putting yourself out there, you're not the end of it. You're the start of it. So it's, it's not a solitary creative act. You're actually in service of something so much bigger and so many more people are gonna come in and partake in this that you can't already at the scripts are pulling back and not doing it because everybody else who wants to tell stories is waiting for you to do it. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's not going to be about you. I don't even, it isn't. Because even these writer directors who like a film by, right? They still acknowledge, well, (laughs) there was this other writer and my producer was amazing and the set decorator and that actor who actually changed the part and it's a big evolving thing. the, The very form that you're writing in is collaborative. So you're gonna put yourself out there as the first one into the breach and then everybody's gonna come and put themselves out there. So I I take comfort in that. I do Mm -hmm. take comfort in that. I'm so hungry for that. Like come, make it layers, make it more complicated. Like let's make this deeper and let's fight about this thing and find the truth in it. And I, you know, I got that when I was a playwright, got that at Pixar, right? Like it's, I'm just so excited to have that. I want I am too. I can't wait for you to have it. (laughs) All right. So we're going to move over to the question of the week, which I have to admit, I have not read until this very moment. So this is going to be off the cuff. Um, Lauren, do you want to read it or I read it? Uh, Either one. Go ahead. I'll I'll read it. This is from D in Denver. Um, One mantra I've often heard repeated by established screenwriters is that you can't teach dialogue. As an up and coming screenwriter, That's concerning as I feel that dialogue is my biggest weakness, albeit one that I'm actively working to improve. I tend to write really shitty dialogue and then over time, I gradually improve upon it during rewrites. Welcome. I'm not always satisfied with the end result, but this is my process and I feel like it's working. That said, I'd love to know how you approach writing dialogue. Do you also write really terrible dialogue or does it flow out of you fully formed and ready to be shot? Well, D in Denver, I have to tell you, you have two opposite ends of the spectrum here with me and Lorian, in my opinion. Lorian's dialogue is so good. I almost get teary when I'm reading it. I, she will talk to us about how often she changes it and needs to revise, but I have a feeling in reading it. It's very, it's so authentic. It's so specific to character. It feels so real and yet so intelligent and, and charming and snappy and She's a really good dialogue writer. I am a quite crappy dialogue writer. I will disagree with that right off I, the bat. But meaning I have to work at it. I don't, I do not pour out stellar dialogue. I tend to pour out 
subtext into my dialogue when I start. It's almost like my brain is trying to figure out what's going on in the scene by having people say really bad dialogue, like, I'm afraid there's a cat over there, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> because I don't know, like, I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. So I am the person that you're talking about who I write quite lame dialogue. Every once in a while, a good one will pop out there early, but it's pretty, it's pretty, you know, people are talking about what we're seeing, which is like the, the number one problem with bad dialogue is why are you talking about what I'm seeing? Right. Um, so, and I, a lot of context, uh, uh, a lot of subtext up in, up in the context. So I work at it. I rewrite my dialogue a lot. Um, I find the more I'm connected to my characters emotionally, the more clear I am on who they are, the better the dialogue comes out at first. And then once you start getting a voice of the person, it'll get better and better because there's, but that takes time for me to hear the voice of the character. Um, but once I have it, I tend to write better dialogue quicker. But no, your process is my apostasy in Denver. Okay, Lauren, tell us how to do it. Like I said, I disagree. I think your dialogue is great. I've worked Eventually. With you a, I've worked with you on a project and there was one project we worked on. There was one scene. You came up with this one line and it shaped the entire script. You know, the, you, I think you know what I'm talking about. But I don't was, actually. Oh, well, I'll tell you offline. <laughs> <laughs> um, I... My dialogue, I mean, part of it might be that I have a background in acting and that I act it out as I'm talking. I say it out loud as I'm writing, like a literally typing and saying it out loud to see what I rewrite my dialogue all the time. But it's instead of going at it, going at a scene where I'm like, oh, I need this to happen, like plot. <laughs> I just start writing the dialogue and see who my characters are. Like, oh, this, per oh, wait. And then something will just fly out of their mouth. And I realize, oh, there's an issue here. And then I try to dig into it. I, I, um, sometimes it takes me a long time to get to what is actually going to be the scene or to be what will be the thing that I'll actually write. But I love dialogue. I love writing characters. So I'm probably not uh, able to answer this question, but I just... I have so much fun. I act it out. I, I shout it. And then sometimes I think this was amazing. And I put it away. And the next day I read it, I'm like, this was so bad. How did I think this was any good? And I have to rewrite the whole thing. But I think it's what we've been talking about this whole episode is about specificity. Who is this person and why are they mad or happy or why are they pissed off about this thing that doesn't piss anyone? Obviously everybody's angry in my work. Um, so I don't, I just, I love dialogue. And I think it's because someone told me very early on in my career that I was really good at it and I just believed it. And, you know, I think it was when I was writing my very first play my, uh, in an undergrad playwriting class, the teacher was like, you write great dialogue. And I just internalized that. And I believe well, And it. you do, I have, I'm sorry, but you do. You write great dialogue. <laughs> I mean, so in that gave me permission to, to believe in it and write it. And write it. So right? Dean Denver, I hear her saying two things that you and I can take to heart. One is acting. So go take an acting class. I think that's super good. You don't have to be a good actor, but you're going to learn a lot about dialogue and how it sounds in your mouth. I think, st I think studying the masters, reading Aaron Sorkin on the page, you know, Aaron Sorkin talks a lot about dialogue in terms of he went to a lot of plays as a kid and heard it as music 
So he likes the sound of it out loud too, Lorian. That's yeah. what he, you know. And so, I write like a play. I often forget to put visual things in there because I'm just like back and forth, back and forth, right? So when like I watch an Aaron Sorkin thing, it feels very much like a play. The walk it, and talk, the Steve Jobs movie. I was like, oh, this is a play, right? It, but it, it's so dialogue heavy and I just love it. And then I have to go back and like take things out, put visual stuff in because, you know, it's a visual medium or whatever. But, you know, <laughs> I just write dialogue, 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 dialogue. Like I forget to write the scene descriptions yeah. in sometimes. And, you know, you can let your character talk in their own voice. It doesn't have to be quote unquote in dialogue down the center of the page. Sometimes that helps me find the voice is I just start letting them talk in paragraphs, like uh, mm -hmm. as if they're journaling. I think deciding on an actor is a good way to think about it. If, if that helps you at the beginning, because that tone of their voice and how they approach things will help. You know, I heard that when they were coming up with the concept for Miss Piggy, they said it's a truck driver. It's a truck driver in drag. And you suddenly... <laughs> you suddenly are like, oh my God, that's Miss Piggy. Like, so find an arc, find two archetypes and smash them together. And how would that person talk if they had both of those elements inside of them? You know, anything, again, I'm going back to character because that's where I go uh, to find dialogue. Um, you know, there are people who are so really good at it. They're just punch up people and they can come in and pop, 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 pop. And I was in one of those rooms once and it was, fine. I sweated through my clothes. I was so out of... <laughs> Literally, it was a, it was a comedy punch up, and I was like, "Oh my god, I don't know what I'm doing here." Because they were like, "Okay, what would he say here?" And I was like, "Well, I think the reason that this scene doesn't work because who is he? Like, we don't know who he is. So therefore, we don't. What would? That's why their dialogue isn't working because blah, blah, blah. And they literally were like, it's shot." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, forget <laughs> it." <laughs> so everybody approaches dialogue in their own way. Um, uh, but I think, you know, I think you're doing just fine, Dean Venver. It's a lot of practice. It's listening to it. It's reading it. It's reading great dialogue. Take an acting class. Um, I'm guessing, too, mm -hmm. what's happening is, like, in your first version of that scene, you're writing the plot. Your characters are saying the plot out loud. They're saying yes. the story. And the reason your brain I know is this, like, what is the plot? What is the plot? Exactly. And yeah, the reason I know this is because that's what I'm doing right now with these rewrites. And I'm just like, this is so bad. Why are these characters literally just telling me the story? They're in the story. They shouldn't know it. But it's because I'm not writing subtext. I'm writing text. And that's like your first pass. It's characters spitting out narrative and it's not good writing. But that's it's there and it's on the page. And that's so great because now you're shaping the story. And now you can go back and ask like, what wouldn't they be saying? What would they be saying instead? How can we tell this story in a way that this person would actually say something completely different? But as the viewer, we know what they're actually saying. And try taking a stab at your dialogue, write three different versions of what that character might say in that line. How else could they say this? What are they afraid of? They're probably afraid of something and that's what you should be eliminating. And that's gonna be the subtext of what they might be saying instead. So I only am saying this because the dialogue I'm writing in this past is just so on the nose and bad and not how people actually talk. <laughs> oh, well, so yeah, interesting because well I write so deep in subtext that I have to go back in and figure out what the plot is. And then sometimes- Yeah, different then brains. That's, different and then brains. that's how I, and then that's how I rewrite. Right. Like, oh, you know, wait, mad about this thing or she's happy about this thing. Then I have to pull it up out of the subtext. So. Yeah, but that, yeah, it's just different brains and how you approach it. I mean, the other thing to think about, last thing I'll say is, um, um, you know, I find that characters have predominant qualities and in terms of how they're 
facing challenges. So, you know, let's use inside out. Joy's approach to a, to a challenge is to be like, it's fine, it's fine. I can fix this. Oh, let's just work this out. We're good, right? That's how she's going to approach a problem where sadness is going to approach a problem by saying, oh no, it's very, very bad. Let me just tell you why it's so bad because this is never going to work. And, you know, and angers is to be like, screw it, screw the whole thing, right? Now, so sometimes in those early passes, I'm just letting the predominant qualities talk. Does that make sense? Right. I'm just letting the, the and again, those are easy ones because they're emotions, but it's the easiest example. Right. Um, so let's say you have two girls and one is a hider and one is in your face, but it's both the ways they're getting you off of them. I'm going to be in your face and get you off of me or I'm going to hide. So I let them do those predominant qualities in the first draft because I'm just trying to figure it out. Right. Mm-hmm. But now the second, third, fourth, fifth draft is layering them up. Right. Is saying the one that's in your face, where is she hiding? Where does she break down? Where does she start doubting? And how is that coming up in her dialogue and layering the dialogue so that you understand, oh, that's her way of telling you to F off because you just scared her, right? Again, I'm going back to character, but that, that's another way that I approach dialogue in those early rewrites is just allowing that predominant quality to, let, to be the way they're talking, knowing I'm going to come back and, and layer it up. I love it. Um, so the answer right. is keep going. You're doing it right. Keep yeah. writing lots of dialogue. <laughs> yeah, because you usually write like what five lines and you need one. Mm-hmm. Right? That's usually how it yes. ends up. Yes. Um, all right. Well, that's the show for this week. Extra long show this week. Um, thanks for tuning in. If you haven't yet, please join our Facebook group and email us at thescreenwritinglife at gmail.com. Remember, you are not alone and keep writing. Thanks for tuning in to The Screenwriting Life. We love our community and we want to get to know you even better. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash thescreenwritinglife or email us at thescreenwritinglife at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if we don't read your review on air, trust me, we have read it. And not only does it mean the world to us, but it helps other people find the show. We've always been driven by mission and mentorship, and reviewing our show helps expand that mission. And of course, until next Sunday, happy writing.